0: Hey, welcome to the Doctor Pete Goldman Show. I'm super psyched to have my buddy Caesar Gracie here today, and uh, welcome, Caesar.
1: Welcome, Doctor Pete. How you doing? Doing good,
0: buddy. So, okay. So, you know, you're you're a very well-known guy, but I'd like to cover maybe some aspects of your history that people will find interesting, which maybe haven't been too much explored before. So, anyway, we'll have a good time. Um, so, first of all, were you born in Brazil or the U.S.?
1: <clears throat> I was born in Brazil. Rio de Janeiro, particular barrio barrio was uh, called Copacabana in Rio de Janeiro. You were there from birth until how old? Uh, the first time I left, I think I was like seven, seven or eight, right around there. Did,
0: did you obviously your first your first language was Portuguese? Obviously, did you yeah. speak did you speak English when you were seven?
1: I actually went to a school. It was uh, called an American school, so. I, I was learning English at a very early age in Brazil.
0: Did your mom have an inkling that you guys would move to the US and she did it for that reason, or she just thought it was just good in general?
1: It was just good. I mean, English is an international language, especially back then, pre-internet and everything like that. It's just uh, for commerce and stuff. It was a good idea to learn English.
0: When you were, when you were hanging out with your other seven-year-old friends or six-year-old friends, or or cousins, did they speak English or you were pretty unique that you spoke it?
1: Well, my English wasn't very good when I was out there, to be honest with you. Um, I was fluent, obviously, in Portuguese, but, uh, you know, I knew some words and everything, but I wasn't fluent in English
0: at the time. When you speak Portuguese now to, like, your cousins who really spent, let's say, more time in Brazil, is your Portuguese up to that level because it was your first language or
1: is it a little... You're a little below that. Well, sometimes, you know, I, I speak with an accent, actually, you know, but uh, the good thing in Brazil, that's very common because Brazil is a big country and there's a lot of different accents. Whoops. Sorry about that. You're and, back. uh, but yeah, I, I, I even, it, it's kind of funny cause I even like forgot some words for a while and everything and kind of had to relearn the, the certain words because when I came to the U.S. My, my mother actually didn't want me speaking Portuguese because she was so adamant about me learning English extremely well that's, that it was like, speak English, speak English, speak English, you know, and uh, I actually forgot stuff in uh, Portuguese.
0: What, what precipitated the move? You, well, you might not know, you were seven years old, but maybe she mm-hmm. told you. What, why did you guys move to the U.S.
1: when you were seven? She ended up marrying an American. and. Oh. Uh, he lived out here so she ended up moving out here to the to california
0: okay. so so he he raised you for a time you would say or not
1: really yeah well you know okay i was a i was ra- a, a rambunctious child kind of kind of did, <laughs> kinda, I mean, did, you, did, did you... my own thing for the most part but yeah okay
0: but but you you liked him at least a little you did
1: yeah yeah
0: okay. it was all okay. good okay that's cool and that was in california
1: Correct. Northern California.
0: Okay. Similar to close to where you live now or a different part?
1: Yeah. Very close to where I live now. Okay.
0: Okay. So Uh, you you grew up, you grew up in the Bay area, basically. I did. I did. So, so here's an interesting point. So now you're seven, you can correct me on the ages, but you're seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. Mm -hmm. Your mom is probably telling you that her dad, your grandfather, Carlos Gracie senior, probably Telling you about him. Yeah, You know, you're, you're 15, you're 16, you know, there's not like jujitsu around. I don't know if you did like karate or taekwondo or wrestling, but did yeah. you have a little part of you thinking like, man, I, I'd like to learn this thing that my family is teaching at that point, mostly, or maybe only in Brazil, or did it, or did you think like, oh, that's super cool. I mean, every family has something that's super yeah. cool, but I'm not particularly interested in it. Right.
1: Well, pretty much. So, so in Brazil, I had done some jujitsu, you know, as a child. And, uh, I, I don't think I moving here, I realized the significance really of the art, if you will, how big it was. Um, so when I moved out here, I started doing karate of all things. I think I I must've been like 10 or 11, right? Like, you know, right around there, I did some karate and everything like that. Um, there Was no jujitsu here, not not that style of jujitsu. It was more like aikido if you're going to do that, but jujitsu in its form was not, did not exist
0: here. I've seen some old pictures of like, let's say, Carlos and his like kids, mm-hmm. you know, and there's like, and, and probably nephews and nieces, because like I me, mean, it's like a class picture of like, uh, I don't know, 17, 17 people, and I remember even yeah. like. Even like Carlay is there, but Carlay looks like he's like eight or something like that. Right. So, uh-huh. but I see, I see girls and boys with geese. Yeah. I'm assuming your mom was in that picture. She probably was. Right. So, so your mom was also taught on, at, at some level, jujitsu. A hundred percent. They all practice it. So, so, when you were like doing karate, did your mom sometimes say, Hey, Caesar, listen, I'm really glad you're doing karate, but I wanna, I going to show you like, a Sotagari or something like she kind mm-hmm. of
1: she interested. In yeah, that? no, she did. She showed me some self-defense stuff. Um, we we uh my mom was very close to Hollis, Hollis Gracie, yeah, who at the time was the, the champion, and and also other people came and stayed with us a lot, one of them being um Carlos Gracie Jr., who does the worlds and he owns all the Gracie Baja. And everything. So I always had cousins coming to the United States that would stay a month, two months, three months, whatever it was. And and it was like, you're doing karate. You know what I mean? Look at this. It was kind of funny. You know, they're trying to what you're talking about, you know, like, hey, we do this and and so forth.
0: Your mom has the same mom as Carlson or Carlinhos or Carlay?
1: The same mom as Carlson.
0: Got it. Okay. So, so your mom is a full sister with Carlson and Hobson. Correct. That's her like, like full. Okay. Got it. Got it. Right. Okay. Got it. Um, Did you have a lot of exposure to your uncle Carlson along the way?
1: Not so much, you know, Carlson. um, uh, He was, his, his story is pretty amazing. You know, and he had branched off. He was under, you know, even though he's Carlos's kid, he was with Anu for a while and and so forth. He he kind of he branched off, if you will, and did his own thing. At the time, the family was was very um, unipolar, just just kind of like, okay, we're doing this, you were doing this. You know, the leader of the family was Carlos for forever. And he kind of said what was going to happen, what, what kind of food. He did everything. As he got older, he got really older, and, and Edu kind of took over, if you will. you know. And Elu, there was a little bit of a schism back then, and Carlos didn't want to do things necessarily the way Edu was doing it. He wanted to, to teach his guys different. He was going in a different direction, if you will. And so, so he went. He went off and and did his thing. And so, Carlson, I don't. I don't remember him ever visiting, even out here. For example, he really got into his academy. I mean, he was a a full fledged guy at his academy and his his people. He believed in what he was doing, and he was one of those guys. He just kind of stayed there with his guys and 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 built his his vision, if you will. You you may not know
0: the answer to this, or or maybe you do, but. Or maybe your Mm -hmm. mom told you i don't know because you were you were pretty young um Mm -hmm. but when when carlos senior got older but was still around and Mm -hmm. elio kind of took over but you mentioned that there was a couple whatever they were directions or philosophies or things or events or whatever that elio Mm -hmm. was doing and carlos wasn't like thrilled with and then whatever happened happened do you mm-hmm. know kind of do you know the themes of some things Elio was doing that Carlos didn't love? Some things he was changing. Do you know what they were, or just knew that?
1: Yeah, um, it's just you know, Elio had his way. He, uh, I think everybody, you, you get jujitsu and and you add to jujitsu, and Elio had added and and put you know he how do I describe this? Carlos did something so amazing. He was very beloved Car- Carlos senior and, uh, and you, you know, he just wanted to do things his way. And it just kind of, you know, he had his sons, he, he was adamant that it, one of his sons was going to be the family champion, the whole thing. And I mean, the, the guy, he contributed a lot to jujitsu, but he was a, a, a very hard taskmaster, if you will. And I think, I think Carlson, he just wasn't with that program. He just he was, he was all into the. He was the family champion at the time, you know. Mm -hmm. And you had gotten older. Um, had lost to a guy named Santana, Vladimir Santana, who was a student for a long time, very strong, tough guy. But Eddie's age just couldn't keep up. And then Carlos comes in at 18 and beats the guy and suddenly is the the family champion. And I I wasn't there, so I can't really say exactly what happened. Okay. Um I've heard some things, but you know, I don't know. Um yeah. and then uh and then Carl Carlson just wanted to to teach his guys the way he wanted to teach his guys. And he built his legacy and and mm-hmm. he he created probably What I think to this day was the greatest guys that one guy has ever prepared was that's who Carlson was. So Carlson to me was uh, almost he was not almost he was a role model to me, even though I never trained under him. I was never part of his group in Brazil. I barely know those guys, you know, but he was a role model to me, what he did, how he he molded what he did on his own. But uh, he wanted to do things on his own. He did. Okay.
0: Let, me, let me ask you, you know, it's funny because I was going to ask you a question later. But actually, in light of what you said, I'm going to ask you now. And then we'll kind of mm-hmm. get back to, you know, your, your evolution and your biography. But one thing, I'm going to give you a big compliment. And as, as I ask you the question, I'm, I'm going to give you a very sincere compliment. You know, if you think about a kid, let's say I'm just making this up. Some kid and they ask like. Three brothers four brothers so he kind of maybe he's the he's the third oldest let's just say he he wants to kind of like distinguish himself because there's three other brothers so he wants to kind of distinguish himself or maybe Mm -hmm. someone like yourself is from a huge family where most of the people in the family are doing the same thing i mean some people probably don't care about distinguishing themselves but some people do and there's a Mm -hmm. lot of competition to distinguish oneself in a family like that of fighters and trainers etc cetera. But if you think about the great, you know, the ability to produce great fighters, mm-hmm. gi, no gi, MMA, I mean, you're like in the top three ever because there's like mm-hmm. the Carlson team, there's your team. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know what other team, but there, there's probably a couple other Gracie teams that had a lot of spectacular success. But yeah. you, you, you're you're obviously in the top three with the Diaz brothers and Jake Shields and Melendez and Terrell, et cetera. So, yeah, I mean, you actually in the midst of like 300 other Gracie's created a team that was like better than everyone else's or like, maybe mm-hmm. I don't know about like Carlson or whatever. Cause of course he had Sperry and Bustamante and all that stuff and, you know, right. Brazilian top team and whatever that became. Um, mm-hmm. Well, first of all, you must be pretty psyched about that. I mean,
1: you must be pretty proud of that. I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it it, it's kind of you you start to reflect on that later when you're in it you're just doing it you know you just like you have to have a passion for whatever you do you have to love what you do you have to to love the people that you're you're training to to you know their successes or my successes and their failures my failure that type of a thing but yeah may, maybe when I'm in a wheelchair <laughs> I'll hopefully kind of hopefully you'll never be in a wheelchair hopefully you be walking yeah, 95 um, I'll have to so, I'll have to help you not be in that wheelchair <laughs> but, but um but yeah you know it's I'm happy that I, I was able to be a positive influence not on just the famous people but the people no one's ever heard of when people call me to this day and they said Leah, you changed my life I was bullied I was suicidal I didn't have anything. I didn't have anyone to You get these kids that don't have, you know, role models or their dad's a drunk or a drug user, mom, whatever their situation is at home. And we gave them a positive influence in our academy. I mean, that's probably more important to me than anything else. So first of all,
0: that's, that's fantastic. And I think a lot of, um, martial arts school owners who do things properly share that amazing, uh, Feeling When people tell them the kind of things. So I'm not, I'm not discounting that at all. Like you said, it's probably mm-hmm. more important. But, but with that said, I'm just a little curious about the success of the team for a moment. Mm-hmm. Look at a guy like Hollis, who you mentioned, who you mentioned Hickson, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the Machado brothers, like there's a lot of uh, competition, so to speak, to create spectacular teams and fighters
1: mm-hmm. and
0: outside of Carlson, what do you think it was about you or your academy? that um that was able to produce what was produced.
1: I think I had a vision and and I had willing participants that, that wanted to get to that level or guys that, that wanted to be superstar fighters and the best and, and they believed in in getting there. They 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 had like a brotherhood at my school. They became like really good friends. To this day, they were very good friends. And they went to and I put them through like a very rigid training, you know, hard, hard when you training. Saw,
0: when, when you when you saw a guy like I'll just take Nick for example, and you have a guy like Nick Diaz come in, and he's a white belt, a white yeah. belt, doing his best, probably has a good attitude, yeah. training a lot. Did you think to yourself, "Man, this guy's going to be X Y Z if he sticks with this," mm-hmm. or or it didn't occur to you? You said, "No, this, no I'm going to do my best to train him. I don't know what's going to happen." Because like Customato, when Mike Tyson was like 15 and he's like, this guy's going to be world champ if he does what I say. Mm-hmm. Did you look at a guy like Nick Diaz and say, this guy is going to do X, Y, Z? Or you just thought, no, he's coming. I'm going to do my best to teach him. Um, Whatever happens, happens.
1: So, so there's other guys that have said they don't believe in talent. You know, I don't believe in talent. I believe in hard work. Nick had talent for sure. But when you have talent and you have hard work, that's the winning combination right there. And there's other guys, you know, that, that are very, mo- most talented people that I've met don't go anywhere, to be honest with you. I'd rather have a hard worker than a talented guy. But Nick was one of those odd combinations where he was talented and a hard worker. So. You-
0: makes, makes sense. How did you, I-, I don't know any other term to say besides catch up. But I'll tell you what I mean. How did you catch up? Like, for example, you take a guy like uh like Half, who's probably been training like two hours a day, seven days a week since he's six years old. Mm-hmm. And then you who kind of like learned just geographically based on where you were, you learned it later. How did you yeah. kind of catch up? Not that it was a competition with anyone in particular, but how did Not you catch all. up? How did you catch up with the rest of your family members? getting so good at jujitsu and then getting so good, you could already, like we already discussed, teach it at such a high level.
1: Well, obviously, number one, you have to have good people around you, you know, and, and, and Half was probably my main training partner. And I ended up bringing him to the U S you mentioned the Machados. I brought them to the U S. Um, so I trained with the Machados for a long time and Half was my, my primary training partner especially up here in Northern California, a lot of pa- Brazil. Just
0: pause, there, pause there for a second. When Hal was like a black belt, I, I don't know exactly how it worked out, but you mm-hmm. can correct me on the details. But when halp was like a black belt and you were like a blue belt, I don't know if it was like that, but h- mm-hmm. how, how were you able to train with him since he had so many more years
1: on the mats? Well, halp actually didn't have that many more years in the mat. I'm, I'm, I'm older than halp so we were actually blue belts together. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so, right. that's So that, that one guy, that. let's see. You know when I when I started, I mean I say when I started when I restarted Jujitsu, Half I think he'd just gotten his blue belt, you know, and then I, I I got a blue belt pretty quick because I trained all day. I'd wake up in the morning, go train, then then go the go train. I mean my academy, I,
0: when you were training all day geographically, what academy was that? Where were
1: you? Uh, the, my two primary academies that I trained with were Gracie Baja. And there was Hillion Gracie, which was in Leblon, I think, at the time, which is uh, uh, all barrios in, in Rio de Janeiro.
0: So he's so so, he, so how old are you, how old are you then when you're training with Helion and Gracie? When Bowen? I'm training
1: with Helian, I got I want to say I'm like, like eighteen years old or so. Okay, you know? okay. so you already you
0: graduated high school in the U.S. You moved to Brazil after that.
1: I go to Brazil. I go to Brazil the first time. I think I was yeah i was i was 18 or maybe 17 i don't know something like that but i yeah i went to brazil and uh lived there you know um i was training with Hidion, and he was kind of a part of Car- carlos jr and Hidion are brothers so one ran the gracie baja and one one ran you know Hidion ran his own club over there uh God, I think it was Leblon. I'm pretty sure it was. So so I would kind of go back and forth, but I I was primarily in LeBlon. I really took to Helion, And I he he that. was he was the the guy you're talking about where he's the black belt and I'm the blue belt. Got it. Okay. You know, okay. it'd be him. So so um yeah. So you know, back then and I just it was the days consisted of just training and I kept an open mind. You know, when I came to the US, I continued my studies and i trained a lot i, I kind of i trained with the machados a lot and then i went on to to go with Hickson.
0: speaking of speaking of, Hickson. speaking of machados let me ask you just a side question i wouldn't sure. really call it a, i really i wouldn't really call it a tangent but i mm-hmm. guess it's a little bit so i i and i'm good friends with higgin and also I'm good friends mm-hmm. with john machado the youngest brother i i know the other three brothers not not well but i'm good friends mm-hmm. with john and i'm good friends with higgin so I heard not from them, by the way, not from the shadows, but I heard like in the Korean garage days mm-hmm. when, when Hickson was just beating everyone up because he was kind of in his prime or something like that. I heard yeah. the only person that was kind of on his level was Higgin and it was kind of like Hickson and Higgin. And they were like almost like, t- you know, one day, you know, tap that he would tap him. He would tap him. So if, if Higgin was so spectacular, which he was apparently. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's, he's big, of course, but he was much thinner then. Why? I mean, and you were around him. Why was Higgins <laughs> so good? Like, why was Higgins the one guy who could keep up with Hickson? What was so
1: exceptional about Higgins? Well, yeah. N- number one, though, um Higgins never tapped Hickson that I saw okay, in my okay. life. Yeah, no, just just because he did, and I wasn't. That's fine. But every time I saw them train, there was only one who did. I mean, just okay, just to,
0: just. Yeah, just you to know. be clear, Hig- just to be clear, Higgin never told me that. I heard yeah. that from other people. So, yeah, Higgin never said
1: Right that. on. And who taps who? You know, it's whatever. But no. Higson was the family champion. Higgin was a phenomenal grappler because he got a nice and I and and again, I was Higgin's best friend for a very long time. Me and Higgin were were. I, I brought him to the. He'd never been on a plane before. And I flew with him the first flight he ever took to my to my house in Northern California, and then I drove him down to Southern California, and he lived with me. I paid the rent at the house, and he ended up moving in with me. So, um, and I trained a lot with Higgin. He was number one, an incredible instructor. If if his his talent for for creating teams and and competitors was was amazing. I mean, not fighters. I'm talking about straight up jujitsu to tournaments and whatever he, th- there was no comparison. I mean, this is my p- opinion only, but, and I trained with both and I'm saying that Higgin was the better instructor. If you asked me my opinion, you know what I mean? Um, and he just kind of, he just got it. You know, Higgin's not a, how do I put this delicately? He's not like, gonna be in some Mensa thing or something but when you're talking jiu-jitsu the guy the guy gets it the guy gets
0: it just to just to agree with you I I actually I've I've I trained at John Machado's academy for a few years which is great I love training at John Machado's academy and I love John also but I'll say I probably just because I was friends with Higgin, I've probably taken like you know 15 classes at his academy the thing that Mm -hmm. always I always marveled about was like Higgin would show something. Just you could, anyway. You could, you could be shown something at any academy, and then I'm like tapping everyone with it. Like the next day, like he shows yeah. incredibly practical yeah. stuff that yes. really
1: works quickly. Exactly. Yeah, he had a. He he could just make the guys. I mean, because he he had an understanding, almost like a. And again, I'm not saying this in a disrespectful way, but you, you've seen the like a Rain Man thing. It was like yeah. he just he sees the puzzle and he puts it together, you know? And and so as far as like that, I mean, he was just an awesome instructor and still is, I'm sure. Um, And himself as a grappler was, I mean, it was like just heavy water flowing. You've rolled with him, So out of the Machados, he was the best, you know, he was like,
0: yeah. And he, and also his, not that I'm an expert on the history of sport jujitsu, I'm sure I know just a fraction of what you know. But I think, mm-hmm. this is a, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, Kaiki. Am I saying his name right? Kaiki? Kaike? Yeah. Yeah. Kaiki, like, yeah. I know that Elio Gracie said, I mean, he might have just been saying this to hype it up, but Elio Gracie is quoted as saying, besides my sons, Kaiki's the best. And, and Higgins, mm. I don't know if it's true or not, but he said that. But Higgin competed against Kaiki three times and beat them all three times. Pretty good. And uh, also, mm-hmm. not, sure, not sure if I'm pronouncing his name right. Jamelao, is it Jamelao? Saying is right now. Jamelao, Jamelao, yeah. 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 He he beat like everybody, and then Higgin beat him, and then Higgin beat who? Yeah. I mean, Higgin beat a
1: lot of really good guys. Yeah, Higgin Higgin was a, a a phenomenal grappler. Um, yeah, we'd have to see how we do with these other guys that are big too. I don't know. Everybody tries to. How would Boucher have? Been? I mean, it's a different era. You can't. You know, I have no idea, but outside, I can tell you that in my day, outside of Hickson and and those guys, and like he said, Eddie's kids, whatever, Hollis was under Carlos. Okay, he was the family champ, and when he passed away, Hickson became the family champ. But Higgin in Brazil was, you know, a, a extremely talented guy, and you know, pretty much was was the guy. You know.
0: When you when you um, were training at Horian's Garage for a while,
1: mm-hmm. you were
0: training there, right? Yeah. Did you? I mean, obviously, you know, I think Hickson and Higgin were both there, and whoever else, Hoyce, I guess, was there. Did you find that a very productive era in your jiu-jitsu or just was a little part of it that whatever?
1: You know, the the weird thing is this: growing up, you know, when I went and trained with these guys, these guys would have private classes, they'd have group classes, so. I never had a private class, you know, for me. Like, I, I just kind of had to learn. I would be the Uki, if you would. Like, hey, Caesar, can you help me? I'm going to teach this guy a private. Can I, you know, and he's going to do the moves on you. So I would do that all the time. But I, I kind of learned that way, if you will. Yeah, And I got, certain, I got to a certain level with those guys. And, you know, and with Hickson, you know, I saw a different side of jujitsu because Hickson's style was 100% different than the Machado style. You know, um, I guess everybody has their style. And then really when I moved up to Northern California is when I kind of started getting really my own style, if you will.
0: This is an interesting part, um, because I wanted to ask you this. So if Hickson has a certain style, the Machados have a certain style, you're taught by both, and of course, then you develop your own style. Mm -hmm. Would you say just in a couple sentences, what was some characteristics of the, of the Machado style? What were some characteristics of Hickson's style? And what were some characteristics of
1: the style that you eventually kind of created <laughs> for yourself? Higgin, Higgin was sport jiu jitsu. You know, I'm sure he could fight, you know, because, you know, he did a little bit of whatever, but it was a very sport type of jiu jitsu. And Hickson was all about fighting everything was about fighting like self-defense, you know, like you get Mount and you want Mount cause of this reason it wasn't, Oh, you got four points. You know, it was like, I trained at her Hickson for a couple of years and, um, it was more the, the base was more important. Like being, having base, not being swept That base. is just so important. Um, and it was more like I said, a, there was a lot of self-defense and and so forth with the Machado style was more of a let's grapple, I'm gonna try to tap you out, and, and so forth. And they both have their merits, they were both great. John Jack Machado was um, his speed was what was oddly enough, you know, you mentioned Hickson. If anything, John Jack would be the one that was more dangerous with, with to Hickson than than Higgin even. And because uh, they would, you know, if you mess up something with John Jack, he's going to get you his speed, you know. Um and how about yeah. your style? You were gonna, you were gonna get to you, the, your Well, territory. yeah, you know, I'll, I'll get to me. Me, what what I think influenced me a lot, and I and I my 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 primary influences were obviously my instructor Hideo, and you know all those years training with the Machados with hickson it was a very eclectic style and then half came over i, I, I brought Half out and then i really opened it up to to sambo and to wrestling you know the, the brazilian style at the time was a judo based style jiu-jitsu and judo that's what the two things were together now when you get into america i think probably two of the the predominant styles now is jiu-jitsu and wrestling because there's so many wrestlers in America, so I was open to to all these people coming in, and I kind of like, oh, we right, we're gonna do footlocks. We do footlocks, you know what I mean? And I got good at that. I got great at attacking legs and defending my legs and everything. And I would learn from Sambo people, and I would, and um, and I think the wrestling helped me out tremendously with my with my style with my base. That's when I made the transition to more of a top attack game. than than bottom because I used to love guard and I still do, but I was weak on top. I felt my base was lacking and I think the wrestling and the, and so forth kind of helped me with that. Who who taught you to wrestle? Uh, A lot of people taught me my, my main people, Casey Strand, who's, uh, he was the the head to kind of the, the wrestling coach for my team. There were some other guys. I mean, we had so many high-level D1 wrestlers at the time, like even like Dave Terrell. And he wasn't D1 because he didn't go to college, but uh, high school champ, regional. Um, a, a bunch of other guys you don't know, but they were like um, very high-level D1 wrestlers. And I used to just go to wrestling practice with them. They would wrestle. we just do takedowns, And I would just, like, pick it up and pick it up. And and I did gilas. And I, and, and I wasn't an open, like, to... Sambo guys, you know, you go, they would go into a jiu jitsu class anywhere, and they were told they couldn't train there because no, that's all illegal. You, you got heel hooks, you know, whatever footlock or knee bar they're doing was illegal. What well, my academy, it was all legal. <laughs> I said, I don't care what you're going to tap me with, you know, because that, you know, on the street, who cares? So, um, I didn't, I allowed everything.
0: And when that makes when the, when, the, when the sambo guys came. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, even with a good attitude, but let's say they were tapping you or some of your best guys Were you yeah. just like, okay, that's cool. Can you back up? Can you back up three steps and show me how to do that? Were you just like learning on the spot?
1: I never got tapped out by a samba guy just to make that first <laughs> okay. because I was really smart. I would control their sleeves got it. and it, it, I just wouldn't let them like, I would do a different type of game. I would do a game that was very cautious. I knew if the guy put me in the move, he tapped me out so and i and i trained some with some pretty good sambo people some world-class sambo guys but i just i've never been topped out by it you know
0: when you uh when you got your black belt from i guess your uncle hobson if i'm correct Mm -hmm. you weren't really training with him was it a matter of your other relatives saying hey uncle hobson like caesar's obviously a black belt we just want you to ceremonially give it to him Correct. Or did, or did you
1: train under Hobson a bit? I mean, no, exactly. I, I never trained under Hobson. What happened was Enzo petitioned it for me. He he used okay, to okay. Want it and I, he said, look, we're going to promote you to black belt. And, you know, I wanted Hobson at the time was head of the biggest federation. It was the uh, the, the the Rio de Janeiro Jiu Jitsu Federation of Brazil. You know, um, it was the most it was. Just the, the first federation ev- that ever existed. So lineage wise, it was the correct way to do it. So it it predated the um, IBJJF, for example. So and then and then Hobson, you know, promoted me that way.
0: Okay. Um, kind of backing up a little bit, but I just we didn't really get to cover it when you were mm-hmm. at the kind of Gracie Garage. Did you did you learn from Horian? Like, I mean, even if. Huh? But-
1: you know, did he show you a couple of things like, oh, that's pretty cool. I mean, it's, I didn't know that. No, Hor- well, Horian at the time wasn't teaching, okay. so it was hoist. Now, Horian only taught like movie stars and stuff. You know, he would he would teach like uh, celebrity teaching. And and it was primarily Horian was a very good um, self-defense instructor. The guy has a knife. The guy does this. The guy does that. You grab them your headlock. You know, he was doing self-defense. So when he was teaching, I I really wasn't there. I was there when Hoist was teaching.
0: Got it. Okay. And then when you opened your academy, just, first of all, what year, what was the year that you opened like your own academy? What year was that?
1: In, in, um, let me think, God, it was, I don't know if it was 1990, 91. Okay, perfect. So in Northern California, you're talking about, because I opened the academy in, in Southern California before that.
0: Okay. Well, I'll say, I'll say Northern California, like when you okay. came here. So it's, it's 1991 90, ish, 92 maybe. Okay. Yeah. 92. So it's exactly yeah. one year before the UFC exists. Right. So let's say it's 1993 or 1994 and someone's a little skeptical. You're like, Hey, you're skeptical. Just watch this video. I mean, like, but you didn't have that luxury because there no. was no UFC yet. So you, I don't want to use the, well, I guess we'll use the term. So like, did you get dojo storm much? Where people were like, "This is nonsense." I do yeah. this, and I'm coming to challenge you. Was that happening
1: quite a bit? I wouldn't say quite a bit. It happened a few times, like local tough guys and stuff. Um, and uh, they, they needed to be, you know, shown <laughs> like, and they just do it. You got to, like, on the spot. You know what I mean? And uh, you take care of your business and. That was it and so we got i got pretty popular you know in the area known as like that's the place to go you know if you will those guys are real
0: got it now another thing i want to ask you i remember one time um i saw hickson speaking and mm-hmm. hickson's theme well more than one time i'm taking actually a combination of a few times i saw hickson say this hickson said look be an expert at jiu-jitsu but be familiar with boxing and kickboxing be familiar with it so you can close the distance, clinch, take down, whatever. Okay. Which is fine. That's, that's his philosophy. Yeah. Good. That's great. Um, now, obviously at some point, like you're teaching Nick, you're teaching mm-hmm. me. And then yeah. they're just like, man, I really want to get into boxing. I want to get really, really good at boxing and even kicking to a degree. I wouldn't say either of them are super into kicking, but they both know how to yeah. kick. I think Nick had done some mm-hmm. stuff, but certainly yeah. boxing, boxing became very important to them. Yeah. Now, obviously, I mean, I I can't say how Hickson would have reacted if they were in his academy. I don't know. Maybe Hickson would say, <laughs> good, be about do that. But my question yeah. for you is was your attitude like, well, you're getting very elite level grappling practice here, but good, be
1: do boxing too. You're gonna be incredibly well-rounded. Were you just all for it? No. We had a we had a professional boxing gym in my in my school. I had brought in this guy, Carl Sharrock, and some other guys. We had a the, the talent in my academy was amazing. Andre Ward trained at my academy when he was uh, 17 before the Olympics. you know um, this, the, the, this one guy um, I'm trying to remember his name, he was the first WBC champ from the Philippines trained at my academy. We had an incredible boxing program, and that's what Nick walked into. I believed a lot in boxing because my grandfather Carlos, was an amateur boxer, and he really enjoyed it, and he thought it was important. Also, you got to remember that fights back in the day were, were looked at differently. 30-minute fights, an hour fight. Well, in the UFC, you're talking five-minute rounds and so forth, or 10-minute or rounds or whatever before that, you know. Right, right,
0: right.
1: You can't, the, the style of jujitsu, jitsu jiu-jitsu was created really for the smaller man to be able to win, to survive the onslaught, and then eventually win. Well, that in in fighting, in the sport of fighting, that doesn't work because you're always going to lose a decision. So you have to kind of take the fight to the person. Where jiu-jitsu had more of a somewhat, you know, more of a self-defense, more, you know, and kind of time is on your side, if you will. And in MMA, time is not on your side if you think that way. So you have to pressure and you could get knocked out doing that pressure. It's not what, kind of went against the philosophy of what jiu-jitsu was. But to, to, for these guys that want to test themselves in MMA, they had to to, to change that up. And I, I understood that. Okay. Um,
0: what about um, as far as just, again, just a slightly different subject, just looking at the current um, landscape of sport jiu-jitsu, and obviously Gordon mm-hmm. Ryan is really good at no-gi. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sure you've watched him compete at least a few times. Yeah. Um and you have obviously a very good eye for fighters and fighting and gi mm-hmm. and no gi and MMA. Just in a simple sentence,
1: what makes Gordon What Ryan so good? Gordon, number one, he's not a little person. <laughs> so um he's very technical. He can impose his will, you know, um, very strong. And uh how to? uh, he's technical and he's strong. So he's got a great leg lock game. And there's a lot of people that haven't caught up to that yet. And he'll put you in that, that world of his, and he'll get the the foot lock. You know, people don't really know how to, how to deal with that. So, you know, he's, he's an amazing grappler.
0: By the way, we we would only be hypothesizing, but you know, Mm -hmm. we're allowed to hypothesize. And right. I, have, I have no idea if he has any interest in doing MMA ever. In fact, I suspect he doesn't have an interest in MMA. Of course, I have no clue. But if, right. he, did, if he did MMA, how do you think he'd do?
1: I think he'd do good. I do. Because if he he takes that same passion that he does in the grappling, um, there's a lot of adjustments, though, is the thing. Is he going to be at the same level of success? If you look at where he, where he's at now and everything. I mean, he's the best guy, the grappler right now, Gila's Gila's. But that doesn't mean he's gonna be like if you put a, a gi on Gordon Ryan, he's not gonna do very well. And he said that himself, you know. Um, I think it was uh, um, Cornelius, um, Keenan Cornelius went over there, threw a gi on him, and was him out, you know. So he's good at what he does. But now he's got to learn something completely different. Now you can't put your hands down here to, you know, because you're getting punched in your face. So the dynamics change. And I think he'd be successful, though. I don't think he'd be a, a, a champ, though, like, like a, a UFC champ. I don't think so. I would agree with that.
0: By the way, um, when he said that when he put the gi on and Keenan Cornelius was tapping him or whatever, is that, mm-hmm. I mean, Is that because of the friction in general, or is that because his neck becomes a bigger issue from the collar and being choked?
1: Well, it's kind of like what I said about the Sambo guys training with me. Probably if we were gilas, I would have been getting tapped out back in the day, but I knew to control their sleeves so they could never touch my feet. And I I would do like a spider guard. I'd put my feet on their, you know, their elbows or I would do stuff like that and completely keep my legs out of the way completely. So, there was not, and then I I'd, I'd shoot in a triangle or something like that, and and their rule set, if you lift a guy, if you're in a triangle to get out of a triangle, I got to do is lift a guy a little bit off the ground, and the referee calls it immediately. Well, in jiu-jitsu, you can lift him up, but that doesn't. It's like whatever, you know. Um, so, it's whatever rule set you you're going to be a slave to that rule set in in a sense until you learn how to you know, modify things, but, um, yeah, so he would, he, he would have to, Gordon Ryan would have to change some things up and, um, uh, yeah.
0: Okay. Um,
1: what about the Gracie diet? You you mentioned
0: right at the beginning of our talk today about your grandfather creating yeah. the Gracie diet. I'm, I'm slightly familiar with it and obviously I understand about health. So I'm, I understand it from a certain level. Right.
1: Um, I guess the, the main question is, do you do it? Um, I don't do it actually. Like I should, if I did, I'd probably be in a lot better shape right now, to be honest with you. I did it religiously in Brazil and I was pretty, uh, pretty good shape and, and, and living, I guess, the American lifestyle where, Hey, you got to be here now. You're going to, you know, we don't have people preparing. I don't have people preparing my meals at home and, and doing this and that there's a lot of fundamentals of it that I do do. Um, and uh, you know, and, 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 I was able to influence a lot of people like, you know, you mentioned like Nick and those guys where they, they they had a great diet at that point and everything. But uh, the Gracie diet, there's a lot of uh, food mixing, which people at the time didn't understand because we're talking the 1950s. And stuff. I mean, people just they made fun of us. They're like, what are you talking about food mixing? And, and not eating this food with this type of food. And, and what do you mean you can't go eat this McDonald's or whatever? You know, so, so my, my grandfather was, uh, you know, there's a, there's a picture of him. Like, like, okay, just to give you an example, I show up at his place, at his house in the 1980s. I, I want to say it was 85, 86. And I walk in and he's, he's walking up the stairs and the man's in his 80s but he's walking up the stairs in a hand on a handstand. (laughs) He's walking with his hands up the stairs, up a flight of stairs, doing walking on his hands. And it was just like, what, (laughs) this is crazy. The guy was, in. he he was a, the guy was amazing. You know, he would do stuff that was like in his eighties stuff. I quit doing, you know, 20 years ago or something. And it was like, Pretty, pretty impressive, but his diet was was really good.
0: Speaking of, speaking of your grandfather, <clears throat> since he had 21 kids, which your mom mm-hmm. was one of the 21, <clears throat> was it hard for her to get attention? Not, not hard for her to get attention. I'm sure if she called him or she needed him, I'm sure he was there. But is it hard uh, to be like, did she indicate to you it's hard to be one of
1: 21? No, I knew it was. I knew it was. As a matter of fact, she was somewhat raised by Edu because he had so many kids, and Edu didn't have the he, he didn't have kids. You know, he had some issue with not being able to have kids with one of his wives. That and was later, his, his first wife, yeah, yeah, right. So later, he started having kids, but in the beginning, it was like Carlos. um, it was it was a weird situation. I can't uh, I,
0: I, I forgot I knew that, but I forgot about that. That first yeah. batch, which was like because I didn't realize your mom I didn't know who your mom was full brother and sister was, but I know like mm-hmm. Hobbs and Carl, they they were kind of given to Elio Yeah that first batch. Yeah.
1: Correct. They're like, here, raise these kids, help, help me, cause I've got so many. It was a different time. It was a different world, you know. And you Yeah. Sorry, good. And uh my mother's mother passed away like right after her birth she had like tb or something right she had tuberculosis and she she died my mother has never seen her mother Mm -hmm. she wouldn't know what she looked like in a picture um so it was a different time and 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 you kind of raised her and her sister and a brother and and so forth hollis and, and that whole thing so yeah he was a Do this, you know, type of a thing. So,
0: yeah. Um. What about um on mindset? Like, for example, let's say I'm I'm just taking a random fight, but you can you can talk about whatever you want, of course. But let's say like Nick is about to fight like Gomi. Let's just say. So you're Mm -hmm. in the locker room with Nick before Gomi, and Nick Nick knows this guy punches very hard. He's Mm -hmm. not really a kicker. He's not great at submissions, but he's a good wrestler. So he's a good wrestler and he punches really hard. Yeah. And you're, you know, you're in the locker room with Nick and he's putting his gloves on. He's stretching. He's getting warm. He's hitting the mitts, whatever. And mm-hmm. then you're, then you're going to say a few words to Nick, you know, I'm not saying to psych him up, but, you know, just to have
1: a yeah. good mindset. What kind of things yeah. are you telling Nick before a fight like that? Um, there's, there's a couple of different philosophies, number one, in a fight. Okay. One is thinking you're gonna psych somebody up and, and that might happen. You know, oh, you've trained harder and you, you can say all this stuff that you wanna say. And you can, it it becomes a little flat though, for some reason, you know, it has to be more of like, you know, he knows he's fighting for our academy. He knows he's fighting against the world almost. And you also kind of make it like, it's just time to take t- take care of business, man. You know, I mean, all the psyching and everything, I don't know, it's, you know, my, my, some people that, that kind of works and some people that doesn't, you don't. With, with Nick, we wouldn't really psych him up though. He knows what, what, what's coming and he knows it's like, Hey, let's just get it done. You know what I mean? Let's do this.
0: You know, okay. um, are there any fights in particular? I mean, that's a great fight. I don't I mean, just for some yeah. obvious reasons, what, what a great fight, what a great finish, yeah. tough opponent, mm-hmm. like what a great fight. Were there any other fights that you cornered your students on that you were just particularly like, I don't want to say amazed, but you were like, wow, that was incredible. You know, what a great win. And were you were in the corner of one of your students and just they, just with a spectacular result, any that stick out to you? That's one of them.
1: That is certainly one of them. I mean, the, the funny thing is, is like when you talk about Nick. There's so many of those, yeah, <laughs> you know, you go the Robbie Lawler fight. Think about the first fight with Robbie Lawler yeah. where Robbie was slated to be the next champ and, and, and the Gomi fight. And I mean, there's so many fights with Nick that it was just like, what? I mean, he was amazing. He am- amazed me like, dude, I was because he could, he could get it done standing with the boxing. He could do it with the, the jujitsu. And it was, you know, and the other one was, uh, Fight Cyborg, I think, was a great... Was a great
0: think, one. Cyborg was a great, you know what a great... You know what a great moment of a great fight was? Paul Daly? Yeah, mm. I was about to say, I was about to bring up Paul Daly. You know what a great moment of the Paul Daly fight for me mm. watching it? There was a point that must have been in the first two minutes where Daly kind of clipped him and Nick just kind of went down the floor and he was kind of almost like crawling towards his legs to kind of yeah. grab on his thing. And yeah. what I really thought was great about that moment was... Mm. He was obviously hurt a little, at least, but mm-hmm. he was kind of even in this very awkward position, like fairly calm. He was like kind of calmly just working his way back up, and that
1: was a great moment. Did you ever see recently the guy that, that climbed El Capitan? I don't think so. He, he 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 climbed it. They had a documentary recently. I want you to look it up. He went and 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 uh, without a rope, he climbed. El Capitan, whatever, and what is that, Yosemite or whatever, yeah. you know, no one's ever done that in the history And the guy and his heartbeat. He, he just looked at it analytically and thought, I might die. I might this, I might that. And and that's kind of like how Nick was, you know, it was just like, he just kind of like studied the things and yeah, that might happen. Oh, that might happen. And, but because he could control his emotions like that and everything, was he didn't panic ever he never panicked you know so he's had so many moments it's like it's amazing you know
0: great all right well caesar that was a super well i i i enjoyed it i learned a lot that was a great interview i appreciate you coming on i hope you had a good time too yeah and um
1: we will see each other soon all right great talking to you thank you so much take care